I'm with Paul. You can know what he does from the description. He's in London. He's telling me things have been over there, and uh, I wanted to get I wanted to to get the rest of that on the recording. So so sorry to interrupt, but but please continue. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I've been in London since the whole thing started. I mean, the whole thing doesn't really need any explanation. Yeah, at this we point. all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I um. Yeah, I had a really good first month of it, actually. I mean, it was great, genuinely. Um, you know, London was lovely and quiet and no traffic and super good air quality. And I felt like motivated and inspired and was like, getting up early and getting into the studio and doing good work. And, you know, shit was good, basically. And yeah. then I think, sort of anecdotally, having spoken to a lot of other people, there seems to be a commonality of experience where... Uh, there's a gradual drop off of mm. the aforementioned motivation and general good vibes. And I, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of coming out of that period now, but I had a mm -hmm. rough few weeks, man. It was, it's just difficult to do anything, you know, but I had a, definitely, is, I, guess, I had a, a yeah, I had a week or two where I was just, I remember describing it afterwards where like I had this crazy rush of energy a few weeks in. And then maybe, or maybe a month in where like I sort of settled into a routine and I was just really positive and really energetic. And maybe two weeks after that, I, I hit a point where I like, you know, I was watching movies from bed when I woke up for like two hours and like I had my exercise and my swimming routine gone. Like I wouldn't go in the water every day anymore. Like, and I was just, I was eating whatever. And I was just like, no longer caring if I got things done. It was just kind of, I don't know that I got out of that, but it happened. It was, it was probably a week or two and it sucked. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. It was dark. <laughs> I guess we, I, mean, all... I think it's probably a, Oh, hang on. Is my connection yeah. shitty? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of dropping in. Um, I mean, I was just going to say that, I mean, I, I imagine there's a established psychological precedent for this and, you know, research that has been done into this kind of phenomena. But I mean, like, just the fact that it's affecting seemingly pretty much the whole population of the world at once is, is pretty interesting, really. I mean, I was um, kind of trying to see if I could come up with a a precedent uh, any sort of precedent I and mean, that this doesn't seem to be one at all you know so nothing this widespread nothing this universal i mean not in our lifetime you know mm -hmm. in but even in other lifetimes if you compare to 1918 for example they weren't on the internet you know they couldn't do this so i didn't know what was going on in london i couldn't just instantly wake up and hear how the london traffic is today so the the combination of of connectivity and you know uh, relative slowdown uh, never i don't I, yeah it's crazy some people i think are going to thrive in it though some people i think are going to come out of this and make the thing you know i've been talking a lot about this and and to dj's like dj artist producer types being like yo you know you don't have to make club music today like you've made club music like a lot of people i know just make club music and they don't really like 
get exposure outside of the club. And now all of a sudden it's like, yo, you're forced to make yourself relevant to people who are consuming music in a different way. And I think that for some people it'll, it won't work, but for some people it'll be really exciting. I mean, I, I consider you to be someone who's been on that tip for your whole career. You started hot flush in 2003, I think. Right. Yeah, that's, that's right. And you've been making music, you know, across, across a wide spectrum of sounds, not just stuff that you're going to play in DJ sets. You know, I've always admired that about you and look to you for like future sounding music. I've always felt like you've had that tag, you know? <laughs> um, I think that, I mean, th I mean, thank you for saying so. I, I, um, <laughs> I think future sounding music is, it, um, is something that, most certainly most electronic producers would aspire to so that's a nice thing to, <laughs> to say thanks um but i think like yeah in terms of like making music which isn't for clubs i think there's a there's a danger well i mean i think the the, the trap that dance music particularly as opposed to electronic music dance music producers fall into and i think inevitably fall into is like um like putting too much emphasis on functionality and okay. it's a really difficult, it's really difficult mindset to get out of just, I mean, I mean, even at the, the real basic level of, of, of structure of a track, I mean, the, 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 the kind of the common, I mean, the, the, the cliched, you know, two minutes of intro and then, and then, you know, um, a section in the middle that you can mix out of you know, the, the, yeah. the, the dance, the dance music structure really, it's it's a it's 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 almost like yeah it's almost like this thing which kind of boxes you in and it's so difficult to to push out of that even into yeah. you know just just making writing a song writing a three minute pop song pop song which you know ha which has its own um, kind of cliche um, first chorus first chorus middle eight chorus structure just just getting your head into that is mm -hmm. super super difficult um, mm -hmm. and I think that. I think you're completely right in that there's a there's a there's an opportunity now for many you know not just musicians but anyone who's been boxed into a certain way of working whether it's through choice or through you know just because you become successful at something and so you feel like you have to continue in that vein to you know, perpetuate the success um there's a, there's an opportunity now just to do something else you know just because you know, we, you know, it has nothing to do, you know, just, just get sure. on and do something else with your, with your, with your time. It's yeah. It, it's easier said than done. Really. I mean, it's um, relearning your entire, for, for many people, it's relearning your entire workflow, your entire artistic inspiration flow, just everything that you think about creatively. And, and like you said, functionally DJ life is, is a whole, it, it's something that, it's hard for regular, you know, for people who don't DJ to understand the data. If you DJ multiple nights per week, that's, you know, not even like the six nights per week. Like some people do, like if you do two, three nights a week, you're pretty much, you stay in that zone for forever. And creatively, it's very difficult to make something to separate your ear from what you were feeling that night. It's addictive. First of all, it's wonderful, you know, playing for people and making them move and knowing 
what to you know how to make those adjustments but it's an entire it's an artistic language that is singular and you just you might spend your whole career and never step outside of it and yeah for a lot of people they have to all of a sudden think about a whole new world well i mean the, the very common um sort of creative path for people that become successful at djing um is that they were making interesting music on their own without the right. burden of doing regular shows and, and then it's being like an out appearance fee. and as soon as they right i mean as soon as they are expected to, you know, to to do that level of touring and to do that level of performance it affects what you make mm -hmm. inevitably you know and and any and I, you know as i said before like any any level of success brings with it a certain expectation and it's a you know it's a it's a blessing and a curse success because it's you're you know expected then to replicate that and the the, or the easiest way to replicate a successful you know work of art or whatever piece of work any kind of success is to just to do the same thing again you mm -hmm. know and it's super tough to yeah. maintain a level of um you know just regeneration and you know keep keeping the the creativity level as 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 high as it was when you when you didn't have that level of expectation and and you're right djing is 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 a uh, is another pressure on top of that because the because the, the functionality of djing and the the mindset that you get into like um because it's an addictive thing seeing people move on a dance floor when when you can make Absolutely. people move in that kind of a way it's an incredible feeling and and you want more of it mm -hmm. inevitably and ideally you want more of it with with stuff that you've made yourself it you know? feels that much so, better so, yes oh absolutely yeah so so if if you you know at, at the <laughs> at the kind of edm level of it you know if you make a track and you put it on in a club and everyone puts their hands in the air then that's a super great thing to yeah. experience you know but it's <laughs> and it's very easy to let that define your <laughs> your professional life from that point on um and I think many, many producer slash DJ types fall into that trap. So and it's like I said, it's a trap to fall into. You can like I, I can go into your catalog. Like I did a little rinse through this week, just going over the 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 sort of periods, and I feel like you you have either decided to shift sound, you know, artistically, or like things have happened to impose that upon you what has driven like you had you know sort of like dub sounds in in early days you play you you know you made faster stuff you made harder stuff you are making right now really like i mean i hate all these words like i i like i don't know what words to use but it's like you know melodic more melodic than your past stuff house music it's more house music than your past stuff like you know, I listen to the early stuff and it's like, it's dubby. And I, I don't know if dubstep is a word. I fucking hate talking genres. I just like, you know, I guess you, you know what I'm referring to. And were those shifts stuff that you decided, cool, I said what I said in that sound, 
I want to go try something else? Or did you see the scene shifting or, or what, you know, how, how did your artistic life evolve that way? Um, so I think there were, there were, there were different reasons for the different moves. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're, you're right in that I've chopped and changed my sound, you know, to the consternation of my booking agent and, and manager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, too regularly um so to 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 go into that for just a second what he's referring to is like the easiest booking clients are either like famous people you know who it doesn't really matter what they play or a dj who puts out a sound regularly and they get booked for that sound so they get booked by the same promoters the same parties every time and they just up their numbers hopefully but you know exactly what you're getting and what's scary for a manager or a promoter or a booker is when you have a DJ who's doing really good at, you know, 126 BPM techno or something like that. And then all of a sudden they put out a track that's like 110 and it's like, you know, there's like a disco dub vibe in it. And it's like, what shit? Well, we can't really send this to the techno promoters because they're going to, you know, they're not going to want this. And what, what are we trying to play? And oh, we have to go exposed to new promoters who don't necessarily know the value of this dj yet and the audience and blah 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 so it's a whole process it's a whole ecosystem and and you've managed to okay so your navigation of it is really interesting right so um i mean you're absolutely absolutely right um in terms of the way the, the bookings on the dj circuit work and um and as any um electronic producer i've relied for the most you know for the most part on on djing for my income in the last 15 years or whatever um and um yeah when you you i mean it it absolutely pays to have a sound but i'm and i think this is actually true um for any artist any musical artist um when you change stylistically it's it's a it's a real trick to to pull off you know it's a kind of balancing act um because you know that you're going to be you're going to be alienating a certain amount of your audience, and and the the calculation is well, okay, so so a certain percentage is going to leave, but hopefully we can add a certain percentage with who are going to be into the new stuff, or we're going to right. you know going to be have their you know it's going to catch their inner ear in a way that the previous stuff didn't. So, I mean, and obviously, like you know, many successful artists have, have managed to do this but equally like it, it's much more common for um it's much more common for successful acts over a over over a long period to, to to keep it relatively level i mean i to, to go back to the original question um i i start i mean i be i first i guess well i i, I first became able to do this stuff for a living which i think is probably the, the first hump that um, <laughs> the average musician would see as being significant. Um, I've, I first managed to do that making, as you referred to, what would what would become dubstep. I mean, I hate the genres, you know, that kind of like genre splitting as when well. When we're talking I mean, it's, about it's, dubstep, even though like, yeah, we share the real like disdain for talking genres. When we're talking about dubstep, we're talking like UK uh 
slow, like glitchy kind of beats. We're not talking Skrillex. We're not talking 2010, you know, big drops. We're talking dubstep that you can listen to with your headphones and you can lie down and you can meditate to. You could also dance to, but it's all, it, it's for me, what made that kind of dubstep so beautiful is it was this kind of transportation music. And the word being associated with this other thing, I think bro step is what people started calling the other thing, you know, a decade later. But um, I love, I, when I listen to dubstep now, you know, you move subtly. Like you're, you're, it's not dance floor music it, or, or you could be on a dance floor, but it's like a hundred people who are sort of independently doing their thing and having their own experience. And dubstep is just this really beautiful meditative transfer, transfer, transformative uh, feeling for me. Not the thing that is like a huge drop at a festival. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that was, really exactly what i was going to say in that you <laughs> know when when we well no i mean when we or when i say we that you know dubstep originally started as a tiny tiny little scene in london um which you know came out of uk garage originally mm-hmm. um and was a kind of um melting pot of, of different influences but certainly came from the uk garage scene and it you know just was a you know 100 people for like four years, I mean, literally, that was what it was. It was a it was a monthly club night, a place called um, a club called uh, Plastic People in London, which was a kind of legendary place in the sort of two thousands, um, with an amazing sound system that was far too big for the for the club, hmm. and That's just the best sounded kind of like sound system, <laughs> right? Well, exactly, um, and especially for music which is super bass heavy, um, and it was you know like I say, it was it couldn't have been more kind of grassroots and <laughs> suddenly over the course of about six months for some reason i've to this day you know i i have no particular insight as to why it caught on the way it did when it did but in the course of in the you know, over the course of six months it suddenly in the uk became a genuinely big thing um and this was like two, this was 2006 um and the um canadian and american guys who you were referring to just then jumped on it soon after um and and i'm not gonna just blame them because there were definitely some some british producers who were responsible for the <laughs> the um hmm. the unfortunate shift shall we say um in the sound what's but, crazy I mean, it really... is dubstep is like the classiest music it's it's basically you know again i'm using terms that i hate using and i see i saw you actually talking about the term idm but like dubstep has more in common with idm than edm and i don't like either terms but like dubstep is super tasteful classy sophisticated it's smart people music it's 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 people who you know who, who are groomed? I mean, I t- I it's awesome. <laughs> and, and and the dubstep that agree America that. created was something else. It was it was weed smoking music. It was pothead st- stuff. It was it was frat bro. It was beer music. You know, dubstep it, it, in the UK in 2006, the early days. It's 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 like sip a cocktail. Like, like no one would really do that, but it's like. <laughs> It's like tea drinking music. It's it's classy as fuck. It's thinking music. Like I put it on when I'm writing, and like it gets me going into places. It's it, it's it's awesome, and and it's weird how like 
yeah, America just like took the narrative in this whole other direction. And unfortunately, words are Googleable <laughs> and like they're in the same category. <laughs> I know. I mean, just just the um, <laughs> just the sentence like dubstep is like smart people music is just like it's so far removed from it the reality where so we are today. Context to make <laughs> sense, you know? <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, but once upon a time, that was definitely true, yeah. and without any without any kind of caveat or clarification, um, and that was a cool time to be involved with that scene. You know, it was, it was genuinely new, genuinely interesting. Um, and it really felt, I mean, having plugged away at it um, as I had and a few other people had and to, to see it take off in such a, such a big way. Yeah. was, was, like I said, for about, <laughs> for about six months, it was cool. And then it just, ah, oh, what did, did what we've just described. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, you know, I was, I'd had enough with it basically almost as soon as it became big. So I had this you know, historic opportunity um, to join this, you know, jo- join the kind of like, you know, get on the wave um, of this, what was, what was turning into a proper kind of global musical movement and with, you know, huge fees and, you know, massive festivals supporting it and whatever. And all I could think of was, this is awful. I need to get out of this like immediately um (laughs) which was you know which is really it was a difficult thing to deal with frankly because i waited so long for this thing to happen and as soon as it happened it was like well i can't be a part of this because i hate it now um (laughs) which was yeah i I relate to that in a huge way i've yeah i it's a a difficult thing to to come to terms with so so basically what um what what happened was i you know i was i'm i'm from london i grew up in london and this at this point i was still living there um i moved to berlin in the sort of september of 2007 and by which time dubstep was you know it was really you know skrillex was was there and like you know the whole thing was happening um I moved to Berlin and basically because I felt it was an interesting place musically, I felt I was late moving there, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous now, but I mean, I've, I felt like um, this is, you know, uh, in terms of like electronic music, this is, this is the city that I should have been in 10 years ago. And, but it's still yeah. a good place to be now as, it, as I mean, in 2007. So yeah, I moved over and anytime. I mean, it is. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it, I mean, it has changed a lot, but I mean, who, where hasn't, but, um, yeah, I, I moved over and kind of immersed myself in what was the kind of tail end of the minimal techno thing, which should happen mm-hmm. in the kind of early to mid two thousands, which was a completely different, or couldn't be a more different aesthetic from what dubstep was turning into, you know, which was, you know, as we've, as we've said, like <laughs> festival drops and all the rest of it. And yeah. And, and, and minimal was, just a, you know, an eye-opening thing. I remember the first time I went to um, Berghain Panorama Bar, which is somewhere that most, I imagine many of your listeners will have heard of. But yes. um, <laughs> yeah, I think at this point, most people have heard of it, or at least seen a photo of it on, on Instagram anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, the, the first time I walked in there, which was right after I, I moved over, I, you know, I just, I, I have, I, this is in, in like one of my mo- most memorable musical experiences that I've ever had, which was 
turning up there, you know, walking, walking in, walking to the bar, plotting up and just listening to the tunes for a bit. And it was just a straight kick drum, nothing else. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, you know, bopping along and whatever. And then this tiny little hi-hat came in and probably like, and the whole place just went up. Like, yeah. a, like a real kind of like, yeah, like, just like <laughs> the most, the, 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 the smallest Subtlest thing. Yeah. 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 And I was just like, wow, this is, this, this is, this is something else. I so, remember I mean, that same impression of when, when I, like I had not heard any like minimal did not exist. To, it was probably around that, that era when I had friends who were into it, who would be like, yo, you got to check this thing out, you know? And I remember listening and, and the subtlety, the repetitiveness and the subtlety. And once you get there, once you wrap your head around it, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it, um, it, I mean, like most things, it got a bit of a bad rep after a while, but yeah. I mean, for me moving over, like out of this, like pressure cooker, like super, like intense like thing that you know the, the the london scene had had become for me at that point it was just just a kind of breath of breath of fresh air really and and so that was basically the first of these <laughs> shifts that we've you know I've, well this is the, the first bit of the answers to my to your question um no but you know, this is thought, all the the elements you know the reason the full you know answer with the context is like to put it, to frame it is a bunch of people are going to go, th- that's going to be imposed upon them right now. So you've sort of, you've had it happen for you in natural ways, but now it's happening in, you know, unnatural ways for a bunch of people. And like, what are the ways that you, what, what, what were the, you know, and you're getting into it, like the alchemy, where did the alchemy occur? Where did you get the new thing that you, you, you were getting, you know, that you were going, getting low on one side and what was the thing that got you high on the other side? You know, those are the moments that people are going to have to look for now for their careers. You know, if their career is going to go from, you know, playing, you know, being the local opener for the headliners that are coming in every week and like that club is not happening anymore, they're going to have to figure out their next thing, you know? So it wasn't because of the same reasons that they got to that decision, but they're going to have to figure out how to get, to the next step in the same way and yeah and like that idea of like you walked in that room and you heard that kick drum and then you heard that hi-hat like i know exactly what that moment means people can translate that and that's awesome yeah i mean absolutely i think like life is about those moments in many ways and um i think you know that the more you can take from them when when they happen just the better in terms of anything creative or in terms of inspiration. Um, I think like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's so much to be taken from the, you know, the situation now, but I mean, like just, just go, just going back to, um, yeah, to, to the, to the next step of, of, of what happened for me. Like, I mean, the, the next one of those things was, was completely different. I mean, the, the I mean, the, the root of the next one of the changes that I had was, which, um, because it was much more of a, a kind of a success related thing. Because I mean, like, as I said, like really for, for me to, to make the decision that I did back then in 2007 was, it was, I mean, it was commercial suicide, you know, it was, it made mm. no sense from a business perspective. Um, the and scene it was, was about really to just take a, off and you were right. It was, it was it. just, a, it was just a, right. It was just a visceral reaction to, you know, just not wanting to be a part of something that I didn't 
believe in anymore. Yeah. But like, but the but the next the next change that I had was uh, a, a few years later when I went from doing what was I guess my own take on that dubstep stuff, but you know, bringing in different elements to it and house elements and drum and bass elements and and creating something that was a that was a bit of a step to the left of 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 that whole thing. I I. I I I got to a stage with with the with the parties that I was playing the gigs that I was playing where I you know I I wanted to you know do something that was more I mean I I I suppose the, an accurate way of describing it would be mainstream but I definitely didn't see it like that I was just like I wanted to just do something different and do something which was going to be a bit challenging in a different way so I started making like I guess house music and much more melodic stuff in i guess 2011 2012 and and experienced the level of success with that that i had definitely hadn't had before and <laughs> and just dealt with that whole thing extraordinarily badly i mean why what do you mean <laughs> it was like well i just i i, I very I, I found it very difficult to deal with success and deal wow. with the expectation as i you know as I, as I said at the top almost um the yeah, the, the level of expectation and the level of expectation, um, yeah, was was really tricky for me to deal with. Um, and I, yeah, what, it, what, it, what did you feel was being was expected? Well, I, I think, um, well, well, more, you know, because you, you have hits, um, like hit singles. Is that hits? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, if you if you if you if you are successful at anything then you know there is a there is there is pressure to perpetuate that success certainly and it, and it comes from within you as much as that as much uh -huh. as externally for sure um and yeah i mean i i was i definitely um struggled to yeah compartmentalize i think the whole thing within my own mind um and it really had a bad bad effect on you know, the, the work that i did in the studio and just just on my kind of <laughs> just on my mental health generally it was, it was extremely difficult um and i think this is kind of common for yeah. anyone who any creative it's a reality who, shift who experiences you know? that level of kind of breakthrough yeah what was yeah, the first was. track that kind of changed your situation so there's a track called adrenaline um which came out at the end of 2011 and that was a kind of yeah, a game-changing moment for me, certainly. And I kind of knew that when I was making it, it was it was going to be a game-changing thing. Um, and um, yeah, it was it, it played out in a way I, I entirely expected it to play out. Mm -hmm. um, and I was totally cool with it. I was yeah, I embraced it. I 100% embraced it. You know, I, I wanted it to happen, and I was you know very kind of proactive in, in trying to make it happen. Um, and and to be honest like there were there were some great moments associated with that with the, with the kind of couple of years around that yeah i mean there's I a lot of tracks enjoyed that I that um I and i would 100 percent do again sure yeah i mean but it you know it, it's um it brings with it baggage and especially when you factor in the touring schedule of a dj which is very different to like the touring schedule of a of a band mm -hmm. where you if you're in a kind of album cycle and you know you 
spend a, spend a year or spend six months making an album, tour it for a year, take six months off and do that, you know, for however many cycles. Like there is, I mean, you've, you've, there's six months off in that cycle, you know, okay. as, as a touring DJ, you don't take time off. Like you- Time off are, is just time off. Like if you choose to take time off, that's just right, you exactly. losing money and losing the interest of your coworkers, basically. Absolutely. So there's like it's just incentive built into the system to do more and to take more on and just to be you know just a real kind of juggernaut effect to it, um, which I certainly did. You know, I did. Yeah. Um, over a hundred shows every year for ten years. Took fifteen hundred flights a year every every. I mean, you've also put out a Sorry. tremendous amount of music, like it, it, especially in that period. I think I think the last few years, you know, you've more stuck to like a single and like be and support campaigns or or you know, and you've you've put an album out every like two ish years maybe. Uh, but there was a period, you know, where you're just churning out singles like constantly how wh where were you making those if you're on the road so much um well i mean i've always, i've never made music on the roads uh i always make music in the studio okay. um so i mean i'm productive i guess <laughs> uh, i'll make a track in a day i yeah. mean i think um I've, I've never had a I don't have writer's block per se. I mean, I'm always mm -hmm. capable of making, making music. I'm very, um, I'm hypercritical of the music that I do make. Uh, I, you know, just last week signed off on what was supposed to be the first single of an album, what is going to be the next album campaign. Oh, that's exciting. And, um, sent it to mastering, got it back from mastering and re well decided that it was terrible. And now we're <laughs> never going to release that <laughs> single. Oh, fuck. So, but this is this is yeah this is the, that's very much a regular part of the process for me yeah um so i yeah i mean like i said it's i mean like a, a, a heavy djing schedule doesn't mean to say necessarily that you can't get in the studio i mean like you know like i said i was did 1500 flights in 10 years but like that still enables you to be you going in the back studio forth, four days yeah. a week yeah, yeah. so I mean, I, yeah, I, I have been able to do it. I mean, so you're like hopping said, in and like, out of London rather than going from one city to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. You're not on like a six week tour, if you will. You're just going to the place, hitting a couple nights and then going back. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't done that schedule in the last two years. I, mm -hmm. I basically, I got to the end of 2018 and it was, well, the end of 2017 i think it was um and decided that i had to dial it back in a, sure. in a big way um but certainly for the, the period 2008 to 2018 i certainly did that whole thing yeah and it was um i was based out of berlin for most of that so i i, I stayed in berlin until the end of 2000 and beginning of 2015 okay. um and i lived in spain for a couple of years and I've been back in London since 2016. But yeah, in, in answer to your question, um, being ha having a you know a, a, a studio set up you know near the near where I live, and like being able to come in and do work as a almost as a job, yeah, um, 
and and sort of treating it like that and, and being able to be productive really as a result of that i think um just you know okay i'm going to do my two or three shows at the weekend but i'll be back in the studio you know nine o'clock monday morning right. sort of thing and being able to yeah be productive as a result of that that's impressive that's cool i mean and, and, the, and the catalog shows it at what point did you so like I've I've like followed you on Twitter for a while and you're always very outspoken both as a person and like you weigh in on you know dance music community issues and stuff you're reading articles I saw you mention like a Sean Reynaldo article recently like you're 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 I guess also because you own a label that's constantly putting out music. So you're aware of all this stuff. At what point did you like start using Twitter to communicate with the, because the engagement level on your account is significant. Like everyone is paying attention to that. When did that evolve for you? I mean, Twitter is a, I mean, it's a dangerous game. I think for, <laughs> for, I mean, for, for, I mean, for everyone, but I mean, I've, I've wrestled with whether me being on Twitter has been good overall for me, you know, for my, you know, kind of artistic life um, and the extent to which it's been problematic. I mean, I think like, like, well, certainly when it first started, I mean, I was, I was on Twitter basically from the start. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I, I created my account in 2008 or something or 2007 um and you know there was a the, the, the early years of twitter i think were, were great there was a there was a, um much more kind of healthy level of kind of debate on there a kind of healthy kind of to and fro of ideas and like yeah there was a, there was there was scope to be satirical if you wanted to be and you know i mean and obviously that stuff still exists now to an extent but there was definitely a, a sea change which happened I think it was you know, sometime between sort of 2012 and 2015 over that kind of period. Um, and you know, lots of people have talked about this, um, but it really became, uh, yeah, it became tough. I think attitudes seemed to harden and, you know, lines seemed to be drawn in the sand and, and partisanship seemed yeah. to be like the kind of like driving force for, for too many people on there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I, you're right. I have been fairly outspoken on that platform. I, I love, I mean, that was why I was excited to have you on this rather than any number of, there's a, you know, you're, you're a voice and yeah, it's important. I, I consider it for, for myself, you know, I've always made a point to be like, my dad hates it. My, my, my dad is a, label guy my whole family basically like have, yeah i know like, i i i know about your dad from the bob left sets podcast oh okay yeah so which which i'm a big fan of much and, more that, and that, that i mean i have to say that that episode is one of the better episodes of that podcast and that's oh, one nice. of my favorite podcast that's cool um yeah it's because it, he's he's got a really interesting story um mm -hmm from obviously his DJing stuff at the start and all that. But anyway, yeah. um, I think that, um, I think that a big problem about social media generally and, and Twitter in particular is that as an, as an artist, you really don't want to be revealing too much about yourself, ideally. I mean, they're really- I mean, I mean like, up what? to you. 
Well, I, I think, I think, um, well, I mean, this is, this is, this is the, the kind of root of my, of what I was alluding to before, but I'm, but I'm not completely sure um, at how, you know, whether it has been damaging or not, but I, I certainly think that one way anyway of, 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 of presenting yourself as an artist is, is to, to um, maintain a pretty high level of, you know, mystique for one of a yeah. better word, just like, you know, mystery. Yeah. Um, and in e either that to, or to, or to, or to create, um, curate yourself really carefully. And yeah, there's a persona. That, I, mean, I definitely create, have not yeah. curated myself carefully at all on. But th right, that's sure. why I wanted um, to And talk I definitely to you, haven't to done that yeah. <laughs> at all over the years. <laughs> right. Okay. Fair enough. Like, I mean, I, I, I just, I mean, I'm I, more interested. I mean, in a lot of the, go on. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of my more outspoken episodes on Twitter have been actually um, during periods of touring where I've been finding it pretty <laughs> difficult, actually. You know, like it's actually put its windows into me struggling mentally to deal with touring lifestyle. And there's been various like, episodes over the years where i've got into you know <laughs> into you know, the kind of trouble that you know cancel culture sort of like um genre of of trouble yeah. um and and every single one of those things has been a, a result of me sat in a hotel on my own somewhere in some <laughs> far-flung corner of the world you know really struggling to <laughs> just to go about my day you know sure. um however like um before 2014 maybe 2013 2014 that was much less of a thing mm -hmm. and but but now it's like the 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 kind of i mean cancel culture is a it's it's, it's a complicated phenomenon i think and yeah. i think it's easy to kind of boil it down to to one thing but like as a as a musician you're in quite a precarious position now uh in terms of the way that, that people you know, scrutinize you and like dig into what you say. And, you know, you quickly sort of figure out that there are probably people out there who, you know, don't have your best interests at heart, to put it mildly. Um, and, and, as, and as soon as that becomes clear, it's like the, the incentive or disincentive to you know, speak your mind. It just becomes you know, disincentivized. Like, yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, it's like, what am I getting and, out of this? I'm getting booked anyway. My music is what is, you know, my beatport charts and stuff like that. That's what's getting me booked at this club. And that's my income. No one's booking me because of my Twitter. It's only potentially going to be a catastrophe. Why do I do it? Why don't I just keep my mouth shut? I, I totally get it. <laughs> I mean, I think like, actually, I mean, there's a, there's a flip side to it, which is that I, I go for the flip side. Like DJ I culture. The, yeah. <laughs> but I think increasingly DJ culture is an identity driven thing as much as it is a music driven thing. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's, that's always been an element of it to that, but like an element of that, of that to it. But increasingly now it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a game played like it with, with image, you know, mm -hmm. um, increasingly. Um, and so, you know, and <laughs> which, which is, an it's usually bullshit of, though. You know, it's usually like on Twitter and 
yeah, it's, it's rarely anything with any meat to it. It's rarely anything that causes conversation. It's rarely about ideas. You know, it's usually just like a good looking person or, you know, associations or, you know, good visuals from their parties and stuff. Like, it's very rare that you can, if you challenge someone to say, what is, I'm I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to talk shit about anyone, but like, you know, a DJ that supposedly has a, a personality that like elevates them, you know, you can pick a lot of those and like challenge a fan to tell me about that person, you know, like, what do they stand for? What do they, you know, what, what are they like? And, and you don't know, they don't put that out there. It's, it's a persona, but I like that you do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I look for that in, the kind of musicians that I follow too. And I, I, uh, I would, I'd love to say it was a, it was a conscious thing that I did on my part to try and project that kind of, um, project that kind of image, but I, I definitely didn't. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the more, I mean, you can get a sense of whether someone is interesting um, through their music and it doesn't necessarily have to be through some kind of <laughs> stream of consciousness on, on Twitter. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm unsure as, as to where, you know, where, where social media goes from here in all honesty. I, I think that like, I was, I was reading something today about how, um, how social media is extremely, um, bad for the mental health, particularly of, um, adolescent girls and how mm-hmm. the, um, the kind of occurrence of, you know, serious anxiety and, and depression has really spiked and spikes particularly amongst girls who um, use social media a lot when they're of, of that age. Yeah. And I mean, and obviously, I mean, that's not, it's not, not restricted to, to girls, but like, I mean, it's just, it seems to me that there's, there needs to be some kind of update in the way, in the way it's regulated or, or of the way it's you used in a kind of like common purpose because it's i mean I, I i personally find that twitter now is something that i'm i'm very wary of you know i'm i i, I skirt around it and i i plan what i say you know, pretty closely and like this was not when it when it was fun it wasn't like that at all yeah. and i used to really enjoy it but i definitely don't anymore no, I mean, I had, like, right before we talked, I had a comment on Instagram, like, I'm in Mexico, and there was a red tide last week that results at night in a bioluminescent uh, wave, and it's super cool, oh, yeah. and a lot of people took pictures of it at night, and I commented, and there was, like, a video on some, you know, some random, like, cool stuff uh, account that I follow, and it was a picture of the bioluminescent surfing. And I commented, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I was in this actually, but during the day, you know, it's a red tide and it's, you're not telling the whole story that it's also really dangerous and it's bad for your skin and like people can get fucked up from it. And um, I, I, I didn't even use those many words. I, I said it much more frankly and simply. And uh, like, there's this string of hate 
responses to every, like picking at me personally over this. And I'm like, this isn't a controversial opinion. <laughs> like, why are you coming at me about that? Like, these are random people. Like I could just completely ignore it, obviously. But like, I'm just thinking, you know, I, I said today, I was like, why? And now they're going at each other. So like one person came and got my back and then someone else came and like called him a, you know, bad words. Like, and I was just like, this is, you know, we're, it's not even an argument. You're just spitting like negative shit at strangers, like for no reason. No one has a, no, no one's fighting for their like, no one's like representing the bioluminescent wave. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, right. They're hating each other and, and they're I mean, trashing me. But would, I mean, would it be better if you had to, you know, put in your credit card to make a, make a Twitter account? Like, you know, if it was, you know, because there's to, some like, identity to it. Your, yeah. You know, if you had to put in your passport or whatever, I mean, would, 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 yeah, would, I mean, I, what I'm not clear on is whether that would actually make a positive difference or not. I don't know. I, because I just think that, I think a lot of people like really aren't, like I, a lot of people are just not aware of what they're doing. Yeah, when, it's not, there's you know, no kind of consequences. In that kind of a kind of harsh way. It's, it's these random, you know, I have a I, check I mark like, and, and so they come at me and it's five random people you know if you click on their accounts they have like 20 to 100 followers you know and there's no information it's not like a real account like there's no there's no post they just use it to do this and i don't really know why but i don't know if identifying these people changes it i don't know i have no idea i mean there's definitely some kind of like like dopamine feedback to getting this kind of getting that kind of um reaction out of someone i mean there must be otherwise people wouldn't do it right this is this is the you know the kind of neurology brain chemistry yeah. that goes just behind this kind of stuff is like yeah the, there's got to be some kind of kick that comes out of that kind of um that interaction you know it's it's the kind of bullying kind of rush right i mean it, it, it must be that but, but like, like i said I'm, I'm just not clear as to as to like the degree to which it would be improved by you know, more stringent regulation, I just don't know. I mean, I, I also, I, I mean, I do think that like, like far too much emphasis is is placed on on what goes on on Twitter. Like particularly, mm. like you know, <laughs> in terms of pol- politically, anyway. Like it's yeah. it, it seems like if something blows up on Twitter, then like then there must be a policy response, which is completely ridiculous. Oh, it's like, crazy how corporations break it respond. down in any kind of. If I tweet something, then like the social media department at a company, like if I want, like I remember my AT&T bill got fucked up one time and I like, I guess, you know, I did something like I left the Wi-Fi on or I, or I left the roaming on or something like that. And I came back with like a $900 bill or something like that. And they, and they just like, I called them, I tried to explain and they just didn't, they didn't like instantly give it back to me. So I tweeted about it and cause it was like, they had changed, there was an injustice in it. They had changed the policy a month prior and I got no notification of that. Uh, and the office of the president contacted me. <laughs> I got a DM that re- re- from the office, like the actual uh, like secretary to the president of AT&T dealt with it for me. 
and of course well, gave me my money back. That's great. It was nuts. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, you're really the assistant to the president of AT&T and this is what you're doing with your time? Like, wow. I mean, thank you. <laughs> like, but... <laughs> Because yeah, I mean, just get your fucking like customer service like <laughs> department yeah. in order, you know. It's like, come on. But yeah, I mean, I I definitely think that there's a um, you know, the, there is from an artist's perspective, you know, coming out and like giving so much of yourself and you know being willing to say you know, I mean, things which might be perceived to be controversial. Like there's there's really like. Yeah, like you said before, like the, the disincentive to do that is just like, it's, yeah. I, I, so I feel like. Here's um, a way to think about it. I feel if like my, you my don't get your complete thought. So with Twitter, it's very easy for you to be, you know, sound bitten. Like you can, you can get one line and you, and that gets misinterpreted or, you know, reinterpreted. And someone spits it back out somewhere else in a new context and they ruin you. They just trash you. They throw you in the cancel culture thing. But, you know, there's another lane where, because like I've gotten in trouble for things before. Like I've popped off and I've like, like that's what I've mentioned my dad. Like there's been times where I've like, when I was working at Apple, for example, like I tweeted things and I woke up to like the head of iTunes, like, please call me when you wake up, you know, and being like, Sean, you have to take that down. (laughs) Like things like that. Like, and but if it's like, so, so this, for example, you know, we're talking for like for an hour and we have the opportunity to complete the thought. There's context to it. Like, I don't know. I, I think for me, it's like you have a decision of going further in or staying out. Like it's, it's, it's a kid. The only way out is in, you know, like you either don't go in at all or you go all the way in. I think that's like whatever is going to be the next thing. Like either you are completely anonymous and you make an account that's like, you know, uh, like a meme account or whatever. And that's what you do. Or like you are yourself and you're representing yourself. And like, if you get, if you, if you start a fight, you have to like, like you're, you have to finish it or else it jeopardizes your, you know, your artistic credibility. Like if you're going to put your persona, your personality and your opinions out there, you have to do it in such a way that allows people to fully understand what what you have to say you know what you feel what you have to say i think this this era of popping off random partial statements has to end and it has to be like real meaty conversations or nothing i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean i think this is what this is the inherent limitation of of, of twitter and mm-hmm. you know, it, it's what was so fun about it initially and, and when it works well it still is great i mean it's like you know a, a kind of pithy um three-line tweet can be you know a thing of beauty genuinely absolutely um, but i think that you know i think something like podcasting there's something like your podcast and there's obviously like a a whole genre of this this kind of stuff going on now is 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 just so much more like there's so much more value to it inherently like a you know a long-form conversation is just you know like this as you say like you know there is there is the you know the the full context and the full development of 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 what you have to say is like yeah 
I mean, I'm learning more about you right now than I have in the, you know, 10 or so years of, of awareness to your probably or no more, you know, almost 15 years, I'd say of awareness of, of your work. Um, well, I mean, this is, this is, <laughs> this is the problem with, um, yeah, with, 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 with social media. Like, I mean, I think that like, I mean, there, there's, I, I get, a, I guess so I well, over the years, less so now, but over the, over the years, I've had so many, so much blowback and so many, you know, so much, um, you know, oh, that guy is, is quote unquote, whatever on the basis of, you know, a, like 340, what used to be 140 character <laughs> messages that I may, may have sent. And it's like, well, maybe there might be more to whoever your, whoever you're judging on the, on the basis of, uh, of that so it's but but i think that like you know you i mean as an artist the way that you use the media available to you because i mean like you know obviously this stuff is 12 years old or whatever and before that you were you know as an artist you were restricted to interviews really mm -hmm. to, to get your get your point across or, or, or you know communicate whatever you know kind of image you wanted to construct around yourself like you know, whatever verbal part of that had to be conducted through an interview, right. um, and and giving a good interview is a skill in itself. You know, right. I mean, it's like you know, there there are people who give good interviews, and you know, and there are you know there are certain musicians who if if I see an interview them I will read that fucking interview because that that's gonna, this is going to be interesting, yeah. and there are you know and, and conversely, the majority of interview interviewees are pretty uninteresting, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, the, the same is true. I guess on social media, but like, you know, the, the way you use this media to, you know, to, to your best advantage is, is, is different. And each platform is different too, you know, which is the, you know, the reason why I said you know, at the top, I'm not completely sure whether Twitter has been good or bad for me. Like, I think there was definitely a point at which like, I mean, I was known for my Twitter probably as, as much as I was known for my music. Um, and which is not really, I mean, <laughs> anyone, who's trying to do something creative isn't going to be too happy with that statement sure. but but it certainly served a purpose for a while you know yeah. so i mean this is the nature of trying to sell art i guess you know like but it's also it's not just about selling stuff. art it's also about being a you know a leader honestly and like in order to lead you have to put yourself out there and the scene, the community, the artistic medium, you know, requires that. And one of the ways that you speak is with music. Another way is with live sets. Another way is with your record label. And another way is, is just directly, you know, is, is sharing your, your thoughts and, and feelings and opinions regularly. I think it's important you know, not everyone has to do it. It's just, it's just one, you know, one of the reasons why you are who you are and you're notable is that combination. And I respect that combination and people, you know, someone needs to do that in order to push things forward. Not everybody, but. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, again, it's, it's nice of you to say that. Um, I mean, I, I think that, pushing things forward is is an interesting point um I'm, I'm i'm not convinced that there has been a lot of pushing things forward going on has been a lot of that kind of thing happen in certainly in 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 dance music club music 
I think there's been a, a bit of a trough in the last decade in terms of actually stuff which is actually new. I mean, going back to what we were saying earlier about dubstep, what I loved about that early dubstep stuff was that it was genuinely original. You know, there mm-hmm. was, it didn't really sound like Nothing anything Nothing sounded else. like it, was, it before, yeah. And um, it was a real kind of fresh take. And mm-hmm. I'm not really sure that there's been anything comparable to emerge. I mean, like, this is a, this is a narrow alley of the, of the music kind of landscape generally. But in terms of like music, which is, you know, designed for playing in clubs, like I'm, I'm not sure that there has been anything really comparable, which is something that I've reflected a lot on. And I'm, it, it's difficult to know where those things come from. You know, I mean, you can obviously pinpoint like the, the influences that a music scene um, has and, you know, the, you know the, the geography or what, you know the people involved with it or whatever but you know i just i don't know where the next one of those things comes from i mean the the, the one of the like key features of, of that that first phase of dubstep was that it was the first of the british music scenes of that sort to emerge after like widespread internet access became um well apparent and the pre- and previously there'd been, you know, the, the, the very kind of UK centered scenes of UK garage and drum and bass and jungle and hardcore. Yeah. And that's the kind of lineage that kind of like present uh, that produced that dubstep thing in the early two thousands. But none of those had that kind of international thing baked into it in the way that, in, you know, in the way that an online presence does. And I, and it was, it was, you know, I, I played, my first international shows before I was getting regular paid shows in the UK, you know, and that was purely a, as a result of, of, of that, of that phenomenon. And like, I don't know whether that's inherently bad for the incubation of a music scene. And maybe it is, you know, I think having a kind of real insular, just kind of, just kind of, you know, what do you think created it? What settings were there to make something new? Well, I think um, one, of, one of the really important things, kind of developments, like societal developments that produced that kind of dubstep thing and also actually grime, which was kind of came, came about at the same time mm-hmm. and actually in the same sort of area in London was that basically UK Garage became like, acquired a pretty bad reputation with the police. There was a lot of like stabbings and shootings at oh, wow. parties and the police came down pretty hard on it to the extent that like it was difficult as a promoter to get, to get a license to put on a, a garage night. Um, and, and early grime suffered from that as well, because I mean, grime's a direct um, descendant of UK garage. I mean, that, that was a, it was a subgenre of UK garage originally. Okay. And it was, it got to the stage where like, you know, the police would just not allow those events to take place in the early 2000s. So there was a, it really just migrated entirely to pirate radio. Um, and, and that's, you know, and, and I think that that, that really manifested itself in the music in that there was like, there was when you're just playing on the radio, you don't have to make people dance. So you had the kind of early Wiley stuff with no oh, drums yeah, okay. and all that kind of stuff, which was, you know, I mean, there, there, there were, there were like events happening, but it was like it, the principal, way that people were listening to this music was on the radio 
Yeah. So you just didn't have that thing anymore. And I think dubstep was was this kind of similar thing because I mean it's it's really you know as you said before it's extremely meditative form of music. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a real kind of like it's extremely like minimal in this in in the real sense of the word. Like there's not a lot of elements to it, and it's just immersive. You know, in a way that it's not really conducive to getting people to put their hands in the air, you know? So, um, here's so I don't, way, I mean, so, uh, there's a correlative to today. So, sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I want to just contextualize. <laughs> like we have live streaming now, you know, we're at home. You're talking about how we, we left the clubs, you know, the, the London police shut down garage and people had to go to pirate radio. Like that's, it's crazy. Like I, I, I know you had more story to tell and I apologize for, for interrupting. It was just like, I was just, that was like ringing to me. Like, holy shit, what a parallel. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. Um, and, you know, it goes back to the very first thing you said, which is that, um, you know, people have the opportunity now to, to do stuff that they weren't doing before, perhaps mm-hmm. because they were boxed in by expectation and, you know, the, you know, the pressures to deliver in a certain environment, which DJing is, you know. Um, and and maybe, maybe, maybe that's what this will give birth to. That would be great. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I mean from my own experience of trying to make music in this, um situation there's been pros and cons to it you know yeah. like there you know there's, there's been um periods of, of real kind of inspiration and periods of you know really funny tough i think um the, 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 one of the the difficulties that you know immediately occurs to me is that when people are isolated this doesn't always um lead well i mean i, I think that this the isolation element to it is a is a bit of a barrier i think i i I fear in terms of certainly in terms of making music um but you know as as we come out of the kind of like the hardcore lockdown element to it um and there are people people are able to socialize without you know going into into big groups because i think i mean this this may deal with that barrier and and actually give birth to something quite interesting i mean i think a, a big problem with the music scene in the last few years has been the prevalence of festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've like skewed the way, certainly, certainly in dance music, so they've, they've skewed the way the music has, 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 has evolved and not in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the, the bigger audience you are going to be playing to as a DJ, probably like the worst effect that's going to have, have on the music that you, you end up playing. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I've been to and performed at many, many of the large <laughs> EDM festivals and my God, those things are uh, really uh, just an aberration yeah. musically. Um, it's and, an energy and I think, suck. Oh my God. Like I, I played a, um, uh, ultra, uh, ultra in Miami and I went up to the main stage and watched David Guetta and it was genuinely one of the most traumatic experiences of my life um, just I mean it was honestly like I mean what I said at the time was that it was like being at a not like a Nazi rally in the 1930s like it was it was genuinely reminiscent of what I imagine that must have been like I mean <laughs> probably quite a lot of euphoria you know probably quite a lot of people having a good time right, but just in a just a, a real kind of like really regimented kind of a way, uh-huh. you know, just extraordinarily kind of. I mean, those songs, like set. if you listen to um, 
one of the, you know, uh, the seal, one of the big seal ones, wild one, they're all the same, but there's this one specific one that literally like, if you, if you roll up the waveforms, like it just repeats twice. It just does the, Right. <laughs> the same like most of them there's there's like a mix in and a mix out or there's like a little break in the middle or they introduce like one new element in the second part or there's a third part wild one i think it's called wild one two or something like that it's like a sequel you know <laughs> and uh <laughs> right <laughs> if you take if you just cut the song after the first breakdown it just restarts and that's the song and that's it and it's a smash. It was a number one record. It was a smash. It was Sia and David Guetta and someone else. And the waveform is yeah. literally doubled. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I yeah. I mean, the um, the um, the EDM phenomenon is something that I've I've yet to really fully understand. I have to say. I mean, it, its demise was definitely something to celebrate. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I was going to say it's kind of over. So, not not mad about that. But yeah, I mean, but festivals um, as a whole, I think, are not not conducive to, you know, good new music being made. Probably as yeah. a whole, you know, across across the you know the totality of of music. So, so I think there's definitely a, an opportunity for interesting things to come out of this, for sure. But I mean, when people you know, are no I, longer I, making I, music for a hundred thousand people at once, and you all of a sudden have right. to, you know find an audience in a more nuanced way there's a lot of right, exactly. a lot of producers that i loved around you know when when the festival era was beginning to take over like so i had my label i launched it in 2013 and we very quickly like had crossover success with you know quote house music and then it was called deep house and that was very awkward because i didn't really like I thought it was more, it just, I don't know, that whole thing, the whole term was weird because what I thought of was, was of Deep House was something else. And now what was becoming Deep House was something that I wouldn't even play. And all of a sudden I was in this position to be, it was more like what Spinning Records ended up doing, you know, like that kind of, I think they called, they eventually called something Future House, which was really weird. Um, but like that kind of sound became really prevalent. And I had, I had a tiny window where I had control and I wasn't as interested. I wasn't ambitious in the ways that a lot of the other labels were like, I was, I, I, I catapulted to the top of the sort of influence for, for a second. And like, I got us the first number one record. I got us the first Grammy nomination of that kind of sound. And I knocked down the wall and then I just sort of let the others take, you know, in after I let them take over. Uh, Cause I wasn't ambitious to be what they were. And in order to not allow deep house to become, you know, like Oliver Heldens and stuff, I had to work really hard at a specific thing that I wasn't really interested in. And I admit, though, it was, you know, demoralizing watching the rest of like, I, there was no one I could like pass it to like I wanted to kind of I, I like created this fire. So I, I, you know, I ended up going to Apple instead, rather than taking a big distribution deal and being the go to 
for dance music label, like, you know, alongside Ultra and Astroworks and whatever else. Um, I just didn't really want to do that. And like Big B and I just, I just didn't like it. I saw the inside of the system and I didn't like it. I try, there was one moment where it was like, I was hot and I had everyone's attention and I tried to tell them like what I wanted it to be. And they just like, it kind of went in one ear and went out the other. They basically just like, they were super like nice about it, but they just were never going to really do what I tried to, I tried to explain to them why we succeeded and they just sort of nodded their head. You know, it was like, yeah, totally. We'll do all that. You know? And, and, and I was like, wait, but you're contradicting it with this thing that you just said right after. So you're telling me you understand and you agree, but I feel like you might just be telling me that because you want to do a deal. And, and that was what I felt. So I could have done it, but I would have had to build this machine, you know, singularly and be the, you know, be at the controls 24 seven. And it just wasn't the life that I wanted, you know? So, um, yeah. And at the same time, someone came along and, and offered me this crazy, crazy autonomous position at Apple to do effectively that, but in the machine rather than like, like to conduct, to, to control a fully operational machine at the top of the industry where I could just pick things rather than build campaigns from scratch. Uh, like I could just say the, make the campaign exist rather than grow it from grassroots. Um, and knowing where everyone else's uh, instincts were going with the festivals, they just wanted to churn out more of this similar sounding stuff. And I would have to work so hard to suppress that. And it was just like, why? Like, that's not, that's not my, that's not my ambition. That's not my, where my energy goes. And, and I'm very yeah, I mean, years later that I didn't lean in too hard on that, even though it's a shame because the music fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, money, money talks in, in music as, as much as it does anywhere else, you know? And I yeah. think that when you look under the hood, like you say, and you see the kind of real workings of it, it's pretty ugly actually yeah. in, in most, most of the, <laughs> most of the, the, the scene, to be honest, um, most of the industry, like, I, I don't think that, you know, the, the dancing is particularly bad, but the whole thing is bad. So even if it's not particularly bad, yeah. then, you know, it doesn't really, you know, it's not really a positive thing to say particularly. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, my, my experience of it is, is, is fairly similar. You know, I, I, as soon as I really figured out what it was like my motivation to be, you know, a lot of my ambition in, in the kind of traditional sense, um, was, was kind of sucked out of me, you know? Uh And, you know, at one point, you know, the, the, the period that I referred to earlier where by I was in a, probably in a, a similar ish position to you, whereby, um, you know, I was hot and yeah, everyone wanted to do business and like, you know, every major was, was you know, interested and like, you know, and, but then you see what it is, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of mists part and um, yeah, you realize what, what, what it's going to entail fulfilling this ambition that you've had. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm also glad that I didn't, you know, didn't, take whichever pill (laughs) did you ever upstream records 
yeah we definitely did all that stuff but i mean i mean not, nothing we did it through the label anyway i've, no, I've never mm-hmm. done that with any of my stuff i've never signed a i've never signed a, a record contract in my life um but with the label we've we've upstream stuff um and and you know there, there, there are certain times where taking the money is the best thing to do you know like um everyone likes getting paid and if you can get paid without compromising yourself then that's the best way of getting paid off clearly there were moments Um, with singles that i had that were like you know these i kind of you know i think maybe i was a little stupid with but like there were singles where like we did our thing with it and i wasn't going to really do anything else and like i could have taken 25 grand from ultra and let them go do part two you know like like we were done yeah and David Waxman or Patrick Moxie would have happily, you know, put this on to Sirius XM and stuff like that. And I just, I, we were like, yeah, we're ready for the next thing. Our scene has, has consumed this record. And I just didn't do it out of this idea that I was the one who was going to communicate between my, I saw myself as this sort of, um, middle person It is in between, between like I was capable of going to the big, corporate stuff and being in the scene and like i was going to be i was going to maintain that in a positive way i was not going to ruin it like i had this privilege of being able to be in the boardrooms at universal and also in the club and like in the booth not like some fucking suit like i really really could know the scene and i would protect it and yeah so i just like i never did any of those deals and i don't know i'd probably i don't know I mean, it's not worth debating, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's definitely not enough principled people in the dance scene at all, I would say. Mm. Um, and just purely on that basis, you did, the, you did a good thing there. <laughs> um, but, you know, you've got to, I mean, you know, it's, it's entirely situational it's entirely subjective like you know like yeah what works, it was a lot works. of just where my life was at that time where who i right, was yeah. as a person you know i wasn't there absolutely today I, mean, I probably would have thought more about like you know oh this money can go toward that and like i would have thought more that way but i wasn't there at that moment i was more just like for the culture kind of thing i mean i i think like if you're going to be if you're going to be one way or the other then the what the way you did it was is <laughs> is, is the better way you know so yeah we know what the alternative is, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what do you think about the live stream culture right now? You know, outside of the the comparison to dubstep. Well, I mean, <laughs> you replied to my tweet, didn't you? I haven't. I, I haven't did, watched. Yeah. A, I haven't so watched. I, I kind of know the answer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, agree I with you. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I haven't watched a single one. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I don't completely see the point of it mm-hmm. um to me djing is is entirely about the, the environment in which you are in which you are um and like i, I think there's a there's a definitely a danger that there's going to be a kind of emperor's new clothes aspect to this whereby people realize that you know actually djing particularly now like there isn't a hell of a lot of technical skill to it and if you take the kind of crowd reading aspect out of it at this point, really all you're doing is just queuing something up and hitting play. Yeah. And if like, I mean, well, I mean, I don't need to <laughs> elaborate on why that 
probably only has limited value. Just make um, a playlist, man. Just right. Like, but, mean, but, but actually don't make a playlist because we got too many playlists already. <laughs> just share yourself. an existing playlist. Like I, I, I got mad at my friend who was doing a Calypso set the other night and I was like, why don't you just share a Calypso playlist that already exists? Like <laughs> we have that. <laughs> There's millions of them. Right. I mean, I, I genuinely think that um, it, people are just trying to justify their existence. Yeah. Like they're just trying to be stuff. relevant. Yeah. It's just, it's a desperate kind of kind of attempt to remind people why they were getting paid, what yeah. they were getting paid previously. And, and then, but if that's your only route, isn't there an innate problem with that? That's that. That's basically my challenge. Is like if your only route to declaring relevance is doing a live stream that nobody's asking for. You know, there are DJs out there who people are asking. That. Like I, I had Eli Escobar on last night, and I was like, Eli Escobar is New York's house music DJ. Period. Like I'm, I'm talking to Justin Strauss later today, and it's like, I want to see what Justin Strauss is listening to today. These are you know important. I'm from New York City. Ellie's 10 years older than me. Justin is, 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 you know, probably 25 years old or something like that. Like they represent my, my, you know, my education. Yeah, I want to sure. hear them. I don't give a fuck about like, you know, I was talking whatever. Like I was talking to my friend Rick, who's like a great DJ, but I was like, yo, like, I don't want to listen to your fucking live stream. I don't care what you're <laughs> listening to right now. Like nobody cares. Like what? Cause you have one party. Like, no one gives a shit. No one needs that. It's noise. It dilutes all of it. Only the real, you know, special DJs should be live streaming and everyone should be listening. Who wants to listen? I mean, I couldn't agree more, uh, but I mean, try, try, try communicating that to the Cause it's wider, telling my friends. DJs. Yeah, because it's saying you have to take this hit and you're not relevant enough and you're you know you were necessary when the bar you know or lounge on tuesday night needed a dj for 350 dollars. you were necessary then but now that they don't you're no longer necessary as a dj that's a tough pill to swallow i mean i i'm a i will be a defender of of djing generally as a you know as a I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say it's an art, but I mean, it's, it's something which I think is, has value. Um, I, I happily like, call it an art. Okay. Well, uh, all right. Well, it's for the sake of argument, we'll call it an art, the art form of DJing, but you know, but at the same time, there is this oversupply. And I think this yes. is actually a problem. With, <laughs> this is a problem with music generally now. Yeah. Like the barriers to entry are so low. Um, whether, I mean, this is actually, I mean, like I said, this is completely true for, for music as well as DJing, but I mean, DJing is a good example because there is, there are no technical barriers to DJing at all. Now there's no crate digging mm -hmm. barrier. Like you can find anything you want if you're willing to spend half an hour with, with Google or whatever. Like there, there, it's like, it's just not something which is inherently like, it just doesn't have inherent value. I don't think anymore at all. Like, one, quoting one of your tweets, model slash influencer slash DJ. <laughs> like, it's a real thing. It is. Genuinely is. I mean, I mean like, the, just the, yeah, the, the, the appearance. And there is the a value system DJing. around it. And it's a it, real value system. And the, the appearance of DJing on those Instagram feeds, like, with, with, with that 
those with those people was just mm-hmm. it, 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 yeah it was kind of the final nail in the coffin for me of of, of many things but but yeah i mean i and you know, as i said like there is an element of well when you when you present it in such a stark way as a live stream of someone sat in their living room yeah. queuing up it's just it just seems ridiculous you know it just seems like well what i mean it's 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 so far removed from you know someone someone's like they're singing a song with the guitar for example mm-hmm. is that has so much i mean i mean that i'm not watching those but it's infinitely better than yeah, yeah i mean I'm, i mean, <laughs> I mean to, to be clear neither am i yeah <laughs> but, but, but yeah i mean the model influencer dj thing is actually so, so I, i'm like I kind of, I'm like the biggest champion and also the biggest critic in, in, of, of my, you know, my side of it, where honestly, like I respect the value system of the model influencer DJ type. I don't want it. I don't like it, but I respect that there is a value system around that. You and I listen to music for a different reason than most people do. And the people, the hundred who were at those parties in 2006, they're very different kinds of people. And most people don't have the same traumatic experience in a gigantic parking lot with David Guetta repeating drops and, you know, over and over again, most people to them, that's a, that's a, they, they consider that finding connection. I find that crazy but that is what they feel and i i am nobody to tell them how to feel so the technological innovations in djing that has made it easy to blur the line between someone spending a decade learning how to how to use a mixer and read a crowd and select songs Versus the person who just literally, you know, shows up and hits quantize and has a, you know, uses your never forget to bounce the stems beat port playlist and just plays 14 tracks, you know, like, cause that could be a DJ set. And now like most people don't know the difference. And, you know, I really respect that there is a value system for the, for the, 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 the overall ecosystem, not, not like a particular scene, but there's, you know, like the standard rooftop, like, they care like i'm nobody to tell the standard you know in los angeles like to tell them that some serious dj is more important than you know some model influencer dj because their prerogative in their directive is like getting people to show up you know and uh this person gets that job done and in their value system it works i in a fucked up way one that you know makes me it hurts me but like i'm more judgmental of the sort of b-list dj today who because i was like that i was i was like a b-list dj i, I was like a, i i didn't for a while i was just like a really good new york city dj but like challenge that and shake that up and like there's no foundation to it you know it's not really necessary and you know that's when i started doing other things and then my then all of a sudden I became more important and I could draw more. And there was a difference between a Sean glass night and, you know, I'm just playing at some place. Like I just, you know, I think this moment right now, it's really hard for me to like every DJ friend that I'm talking to, who's not 
producing, you know, great music. Like, like I care more. I, I don't even know if I've actually ever heard you play live. I don't think I have. I have heard pretty much all your music over the years and followed your label and, and, and obviously Twitter and career in general, but I don't think I've ever heard you play live, but I respect the whole thing. There's a ton of DJs that I've heard play live a million times. And like, I just, right now I'm just like, yo, you need to rethink your, you know, existence. Like that's not enough. And I'm sorry, you know, I, and, and I, and I'm like super, I was talking to one of my friends who I like got her to move to New York to DJ and I love her, but like, she hasn't taken it. And, you know, she either like, she like makes her money, like managing the bar and DJing and booking DJs and like that. And that's gone. And now she's live streaming cause she's really pretty. And it's like, yo, I'm sorry. Like, I love you. You're my friend, but I will never watch your live stream. Like, it's not good. You are not a special DJ. You are not a bet. You're just like a regular, you're an okay DJ who's relevant in this tiny place because you commit time to it and you satisfy a need, which is literally they need someone to play songs who also invites people. But like, that's not fucking enough. I just think like you need to take this time right now to rather than be desperate for the relevance, rather than beg people to remember that you still exist, reevaluate, redefine, grow. I don't know. That's that's my yeah. I mean, yeah. I I I, you know, I, I concur broadly. I mean, I think like if 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 DJing is an art, then it's it, to me it has to be like the situational aspect of DJing. I mean, I, I don't think like sitting in in your in a, in a room and doing a studio mix that calling that art is to me a stretch. But I think like the 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 um the kind of the concept of being in front of a group of people mm -hmm. doesn't matter how big they are and and taking them to places which they would never normally not go to through music that that i can completely get on board with the concept of that of that being an art form and if you take that out of the equation then like you say it's like what is what is what does this really add up to and right. you know the answer to me would be not, not a lot um i think that like yeah, the, the, the can be like you know, we can kind of return to you know something a bit different. I think mean, a big part of the problem um, with the way music has gone, as, as we were saying before, was is the prevalence of festivals and and the, the aspiration of almost everyone who sets out on a kind of music career to get to those festivals. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I, like the, the most commonly, uh, well, certainly a a a, um, a regularly moaned about feature of the DJ circuit is. I mean, the, the warm-up DJ who plays way too hard and you know oh, yeah. with 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 their kind of you know to eye their on presence you know to get right, their with their with their with their eye on the headline set before they've before they're ready to go there you know like right. not 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 understanding the fact that you need to prove that you can you know like actually see your you know place in the party to actually get mm -hmm. to that headline slot but um that's how you know, I the, became by the way just like that that was my life as a DJ, I was a really good, like my position was I was the guy who I knew the clubs. I knew the managers. I knew the bookers and stuff. I basically became like booker slash opener for a bunch of parties. And then I would curate the promoters and I would curate the, I became like a really good, I just knew music really well. So I, I would get the new cool DJ before anybody. Like I, there's a ton of like, you know, house music DJs and like, 
it, there, there was like an era of maybe five years where like there's a lot of guys who will say like you know my first show was with sean like rufus Dussol, who is like flume who are huge right now and like i don't you know all love and respect to how huge they are but like music is fucking trash but like, <laughs> like i booked them on like a like a like at a bar and stuff like that so i was doing those things but i was the person who was i was a really good opener and i set them i i took care of everything i packaged the night i produced everything and just like i made it right for these people who the crowds were really coming for them and i just i just delivered everything you know, right for that. And, and, and I would open every single, I would open and close and I would never, I always knew like what they were going to play. I would check if I didn't and I would build up toward it. And I would, I would bring them in on a note that was like, that, that, that would, that would lead into that. I would never, I would never go hard, you know, anyway, that's, that's a big way to get into the world is to support, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as someone who's you know, spent 10 years, like, you know, doing that, you know, three times a week, like it's, it's so different when you have someone who, um, who knows what they're doing in terms of running a party and, and also, um, you know, in with, with the, with the small details, what seem like small details, i.e. having a good warm up act, yeah. even if there's hardly anyone there, it's like, it's just, it's, it's completely, it's chalk and cheese when, when there is someone who, understands that there is flow to a night and like where, where when it's done properly it's you know a, a thing of beauty and when it when it's not it can be it's just yeah there, there is there is no comp, there's no comparison um between a well-run night and a you know the, the kinds that i'm talking about but you know sure. like the the the, the, the warm-up dj um you know, as an underrated person, generally, I mean, I think it's psychologically, it's, it speaks like to, you know, I, I think you know, the, the average, like good warm up DJ is probably quite a good person. I would say it's like, it, it takes, so, you know, it, it's, a, I know it a lot a, of a level really, of self-restraint. There, there's a lot. It's funny you say that. Yeah. There's a lot of really nice people who are like the awesome local and they're great fucking DJ and they, they just, they're solid at they're cool at being the local and they're a great warm up and they're just they're nice you want to have dinner with them before and stuff and like they're awesome <laughs> right yeah it's funny this is definitely my it's my experience too for sure so right now where's your head at like where are your ambitions at we've talked about a lot of the history in the past and like uh you know what the situation is right now of course and like no one knows what's going to happen next but like sort of emotionally like what are you excited about for your projects for artist project label live whatever it may be what do you think the next phase is for you well i'm as i mentioned earlier finishing up an album which was supposed to be done by now and it's definitely not so hmm. it would help it would help if i would like um not send singles to mastering and then decide that they're not very good um so um so yeah i'm i'm still in in that kind of in that kind of mindset that kind of album cycle mindset um and the the next record the, well this record that i'm working on now is a, is a well it, it's it's another slight left turn um in my 
long history of left turns. So there's um, there's some proper songs. Um, there's some less sort of um, less kind of um, stereotypically dance and club stuff. I'm just trying to. I'm just working on how it, the, the kind of structure of the record is going to work, and this is just the reason why I've been extremely uh, indecisive about it. Um, you know, I, I really, you know, I really want it to, I really want, I mean, it's an obvious thing to say, but I really want it to be good, you know, like, um, it's, it's obviously, um, easier said than done to get to actually get from that initial, exp, um, initial intention to actually something that is actually. Has it felt nice. different making this record, yeah. you know, in isolation? Um, no, I mean, I've always worked on this on my own in the studio anyway, so not really but i mean what i mean what has felt different is that um you know i've i've been working in a different way i've uh-huh. been working in a much more kind of like write write a song record it mix it kind of a traditional recording kind of okay. structure way rather than just kind of like throwing ideas at a wall and kind of mixing as you go and like being quite freeform with it so um it's been it's been a bit of a challenge to switch up my way of like writing um and well kind of like my usual mix of like writing and engineering which is you know it's really it's not a it's not a method that i would recommend to anyone but i'm I'm completely self-taught so i kind of got to these things through trial and error so i've been trying to you know like i said get myself into a bit more of a kind of like a typical recording structure um but you know apart from that i i'm in the in the middle of setting up a new label with someone else the first time i've ever partnered on something um so we're kind of at the early sort of well we're we're, um we're quite an early stage of it but we've been working we're working on it for a few months so we're Mm -hmm. yeah we're kind of scouting and you know admin stage and yeah i mean it's it's something that yeah I, i i feel like i've been in my comfort zone for a little bit too long label wise we haven't really been too like too ambitious really in the last few years of what we've done with hot flush so um and i feel like i need the reason the reason i wanted to partner with someone on doing something new is that you know i feel like i I need input from someone who isn't like a you know like a like an employee you know i feel like i need sure i need a kind of like something a, a a proper like sounding board you know something yeah yeah where which is going to be a you know alchemy exactly um so i'll be working on that too and um yeah i'm hope we're hoping to i I think we're i think we're probably not going to release anything this year but like hopefully do a release q1 of next year for the first release on that so yeah that's kind of exciting in terms of doing something different which is really what i've tried to do throughout my kind of musical career really is just uh, keep, keep keep it interesting and keep it kind of varied because I, really. I mean I think, yeah well I mean, yeah <laughs> like I said probably probably to the detriment of, of certain aspects of my career oh, sure so, you so could have put out the same song over and over again and made lots of money <laughs> yeah, yeah be a lot richer exactly but yeah what can you do but yeah well cool man I really yo I really appreciate you doing this this is awesome for me you know like this to me the most exciting part of doing it is like just getting this kind of 
like FaceTime, you know, with people that I'm interested in hearing these kinds of stories, like being like, I'm asking questions that I'm just like, I want to know, like, <laughs> like, I don't really give a shit about like the whole interview thing. Like, I don't care about that. To me, it's like, I'm making my stuff. And I see this as like, you know, the genesis of this is like, okay, like I'm also outspoken in the way that you are. And people for years are just like, yo, you should, you know, make a show out of that because you talk away, you know? <laughs> but for me, like, that's like whatever that could be on Instagram and shit. But like the, like what makes me excited, like hop out of bed in the morning, like, oh, first thing I'm doing is like, I'm going to go talk to Paul. That's like, this is, it, 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 I've followed your career for a while and I, get to like learn the ins and outs and and yeah that that one point really stuck with me about pirate radio compared to right now and that's something that like i i really want to think about because that that's cool and yeah dude i really appreciate all your work and i'm looking forward to hearing the album if, if you need anyone's opinion you got me anytime and okay, I'll, um, <laughs> I'll bear that in mind. I hope, I'll hopefully get to a stage where I can play it to like to anyone. <laughs> like, yeah, when you're by, ready. You know, by no, but... by no means a guarantee at this point. I'm afraid. Of course, of course. <laughs> no, but I'll be. I will. I will be listening on Spotify or whatever Bandcamp when uh, when the time comes, regardless. And cool, dude. Well, cool, man. Stay safe. Stay creative, and uh, we'll be in touch. You too, man. Nice one. It's great yes, to speak man. to you. I've really I've been enjoying the podcast. Actually, I've listened to a good few episodes. Oh, and, thank um, you. It, 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 it's really good. I have to. I need to ask you a question, though. Oh like, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Because obviously, with like, I saw the, the like, the T with SG title. Uh -huh. That's a you know, like, so this is going to be a kind of like, you know, a, a, um, a, a bunch of sit downs where you're talking to each other. Yeah. The point is that tea. I'm really into. But you, but you actually no no hang on a sec hang hang on what I was going to say yeah so to, but there is actually T. Tea. Tell me about tea. I don't know. Oh, great. I'm, I'm oh, yo, British, I could talk. Right? Awesome. Yeah. I'm British, so I should know about this, but I know shit about tea. So, like, clue me in. Great. Um, so, okay. So, regarding, like, Tea with SG, the name, this was not envisioned to be a FaceTime, you know, a Zoom recording show. I actually, like, want to, you know, host people for tea is the idea. And there was, like, okay, a, right, yeah. like it, it, I did have it in my head for a second that I was, like, maybe I could, like, get people to send, you know, send Paul tea before we but like that was just ridiculous and i'm like do i really want to coordinate that during during pandemic like from japan and china like that's absurd so fuck that shit and we're just gonna like have conversations and i will you know drink tea there are episodes where we do talk about tea like i do have tea focused episodes um but no in the future like i want all the episodes at tea houses and stuff so okay so like i'm really into tea i got into tea uh over the last decade uh you know, scaled like, like at different times. And, um, I love that you are, you know, British and you don't know about tea because the British ruined <laughs> tea. Uh, they, <laughs> like, right, okay, okay. yeah. So anything that you would know from your, you know, English upbringing would be trash and all love and respect to England okay. in so many, so many things, but not this. So one of the reasons why I was late to tea culture is because I was exposed to it originally through um, 
Western, you know, through, through the English ways, the French ways and stuff. And it's trash. And so like, I was exposed to it and I hated it. I was just like, this is stupid. Um, so I never, it never caught on. It wasn't until I got exposed to Asian tea culture, which is really the only, like saying Asian tea culture is absurd, but it's just tea is Asian. Um, that's when I caught on to it. And um, so, so, you know, tea, uh, it comes from Yunnan province in China. There's uh, if you want to listen to, I, I, I did a reading of the book of tea by Kakuzo Okakura uh, episode like nine, okay. maybe I literally just read the first two chapters and I'll keep reading it. I'll go through the whole book eventually. Um, but it traces like the origins of tea. Um, so all the tea that I drink, like 90% of it is China, Taiwan, and Japan. Right now we are in spring tea harvest. So the best teas in the world to drink are uh, called Shinsha, which is just new tea from Japan. And it's Sencha tea, but it's like the best Sencha tea. So it goes from the uh, western, the southwestern island of Tanegashima is the first Shinsha. And then it goes up through Kyushu and goes through all the other areas of Japan Eastern. And so you get every few weeks new harvests, new Shinsha, and it goes for about six weeks, two months. I was supposed to be there now, but obviously not. Um, at the same time in China, you have Longjing and Dragonwell. Those are, uh, people could argue a million other green teas, but those are the ones that I would recommend. Um, and just throughout the year, in about three, four months, you want Gyokuro from Japan because it sits, it's, it, it gets picked now. It's uh, shaded, but it gets, it, it rests a little while. Shincha, you want it right away. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, I can talk tea all day. Um, I <laughs> like the, the, okay, the two things that I always like to say are, um, I think I like introduced the show with this, that tea is a metaphor for humanity, that it all comes from one plant. So, all, so, so the big misnomer and misunderstanding about tea is like chamomile and Earl Grey. That's not tea. That's a flower and an herb. You know, that's something else. Things in hot water, th that's awesome. Like chamomile is, I'm not anti-chamomile. It's just not tea. I like tea. I don't really drink herbals as much. And tea is one plant called Camellia sinensis. And that leaf splits depending on nature and nurture through where it's picked, where it's planted, what kind of soil, uh, what time of year, do you steam it, do you roast it, do you roll it, all these different variables that make it into seven varietals, green, white, red, yellow, black, oolong, and pu'er. I'd say the most uh, indicative variable is oxidation just exposure to oxygen. So the reason why you want this green tea right away, the freshest green tea is because it's most sensitive. It's not oxidized. So the metaphor of damage is a really beautiful way to think about tea and, and people, I think. So the way that you lift weights, you know, you're damaging your body, but that alchemy is creating strength. Same thing with tea, sun on the tea. It damages the tea, but it damages it in a way that catalyzes uh, you know, catechins that are taste really good and you want yep. that, or you maybe want to shade it and you want more, uh, uh, you know, uh, of the umami kind of style, um, the whole spectrum and black tea is fully oxidized. Pu'er is fermented, is oxidized and fermented. So you can age that. And the more you age a raw pu'er, the, the better it gen generally gets if you do it right. 
Shopuer is similar, but it's uh, they 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 create the aging. They sort of simulate the aging process right away. So it's so it's this like soupy kind of flavor. Um, oolong is the in between. So you got green, which is not oxidized, and black, which is fully oxidized, and then oolong, yep. which can go super sensitive on the low oxidation or stronger on the high oxidation. Um, yeah, and you go all over the world for the different ones. So like, I have my contacts for like Uyishan oolongs, and I have my contacts for like Sun Moon Lake oolongs, and I could tell you, you know, the differences between them, and it's so fucking beautiful. I love it so much. <laughs> so part of this show, the concept of this show, is like, so like I see myself as this kind of like I don't know, I, I don't know if what what the word like like I'm into a a few things, but like, I really know my shit and I'm like a crazy student of things. So like I could talk DJ culture, I could talk tea, I could talk film, I could talk a bunch of things. And my thesis about that, like why I'm important is that I can connect these things. So that's what I want this to be. So like, I think that you do this, you do not just one thing, but a few things that we've talked about, like exceptionally to the point that people need to pay attention and can learn from it. And I think that like, like I'm so happy that, that you asked because I think for the reasons that you like dubstep, you would like tea also. And you just might not have been exposed right, to it. Okay. And you probably <laughs> like the movie like Phantom Thread or something like that, you know? And like, I want to put all these things together. I do like that movie. Literally. Yeah, it's the fucking best. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think that I'm like, a really good identifier of these things and like i can i can communicate dj and t at the same time and that's my position like in the world that's how i see you know like <laughs> okay, okay and and that's what that's i want this show to probably be probably a pretty unique place to be actually yeah to be like i like there's experts in these different categories and i don't really know a lot of people who can talk like on the level with all these different category experts and I want to use that ability to put them together to like expose you to tea. So yeah, the dream is like I come to your studio and I bring some badass tea setup and I actually like, you know, I, I, I make you all of this tea and I explain it to you and, <laughs> and, and then we can go into, because what I think is so beautiful is it's all an analog, you know, so we could go into topics on DJing, but through the frame of an oolong tea or something like that. And that's how the world gets connected. And that's how we identify what's essential and what's really going to move us. And yeah, I love DJing and I love tea. <laughs> it's a solid concept, man. It's good. Feeling it. Interested to see how it develops. Yeah, Definitely. man. Thank you for being, thank you for, for I, I would, I would at any time appreciate your feedback. I'm experimenting with it. I'm just trying to, I want it to be, more of an art than just a service. I don't want to do, you know, I fucking hate podcasts. I hate the way that people just like, you know, air out their ramblings and stuff. I want this to be the, the purpose of this is like, is, is the connectivity. I want people to learn how to do things and how to understand things. I think the best art is like, it's born of suffering that you then translate inside and make the internal external. And then others right. can understand struggle that you went through that's the best art so that's what i i want to experiment with form also here so like i want to do readings and and like audio documentaries and different 
abstract and expressionist kind of things. Like, I don't want to just do conversations. I want that to be Mm. part, you know, probably like half of it, but then I don't know. Exploring. (laughs) Good. Good, man. Sounds good. I'm totally, totally on board. Thank you. Thank you. Well, yo, be in touch and uh, we have to do tea when, uh, when the world opens. I'll, I'll bring you some good yeah, stuff. Totally. <laughs> All right, man. It's a pleasure. Sounds good, man. Have a great week. Absolutely. Peace. You too, mate.